sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Hour number two of the early line. Dane Martinez and my man, Kevin the Candle Burner Walsh, giving you everything you need. We're on the precipice, Kev. We're talking about college football games literally tomorrow. The NFL season kicks off at Arrowhead with the Kansas City Chiefs raising the banner and taking on the Houston Texans. We got a lot to discuss, news and notes. For the last time, we'll be able to look at some futures bets, some season awards. We do that. And in this hour, we will bring in our good friend Emery Hunt to talk a little bit from the athlete's perspective, a lot of the things that will make this season unique as we know. But we got to get you caught up on the news and notes in the NFL. And late last night, devastating news, Kev, for the Denver Broncos. They're all pro pass rusher, Von Miller. You got to, in my opinion, the face of the franchise is going to miss 2020 with a season ending ankle injury. They're describing it as a freak injury at the end of practice, but his ankle is done. He's going to have surgery. He's out for the year, Kev. Von Miller down. Bradley Chubb is already banged up and on a pitch count for Denver in terms of that pass rush. What does this mean for the Broncos, and are you seeing any impact in lines? Yeah, the lines right away. Uh, and these have been on the move. Where the Broncos were your home favorites, but the Jadavion Clowney news started to get some love. Uh, And now you've got the Titans as minus one and a half road favorites, minus 132 on that money line. Von Miller, all the camp reports were that he looked fantastic. A big bounce back year was in store for him. And not only you look at this Von Miller situation and you think about the impact that it has on them from an on field perspective. But I think he's one of those guys that it's okay to go cliche, go narrative about what he means for that locker room. And we're talking about a Super Bowl MVP, a guy who's done it at the absolute highest level for what is, you know, a young core and some new pieces coming along to this team that as they tried to bounce back and push for one of those seven postseason spots. And, you know, another additional layer here is we know. Von Miller had COVID. Von Miller went through yes. this. Uh, and it was a tough battle for him. And, you know, you would think that experience and, again, that veteran leadership of his would have been, you know, nice to have. Maybe he sticks around this team and uh, is with them on a week-to-week basis. I'm not sure. But I think in as many ways as you could possibly list, Von Miller's absence is a big, big blow for the Denver Broncos. It is a very big blow for the Denver Broncos and out west. We know about Kansas City. You know how I feel about the Chargers. If the Denver Broncos fall down a peg, you know, that could help some of these other AFC wildcard-ish teams because some people did think the Broncos would be able to contend. Their win total was hovering around seven or eight for most of the offseason. So tough news and tough break for Von Miller and, of course, the Denver Broncos. You know, as you're looking into week one, though, Kev, we're trying to figure out as depth charts start to settle, we've had some player movement. The merry-go-round has happened with cut-down day. And one of the big winners of this is James Robinson. 
Who, you ask? James Robinson, a kid out of Illinois State, is listed atop the Jaguars' depth chart. Now, I don't know how much production you think the Jaguars' run game is going to have in week one against Indy and beyond, but James Robinson, you see it here, an undrafted rookie out of Illinois State, is now at the top of the depth chart after, you know, Fournette is gone. They still have Chris Thompson there for the PPR kind of idea and out of the backfield as we welcome in our radio audience around the country, including out there on the Mightier 1090 out west. Thanks for waking up early with us and getting on the grid. Does this give them an edge? How do you play an edge here, Kevin? It is James Robinson, the starting tailback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Where's your edge on this news? I, I mean... It's a backfield, right, where with Fournette's absence, you're like, ah, is, is there really anything here for me? And I think as it pertains to James Robinson, uh, Emery Hunt, who's going to be joining us in this hour, can offer us some insight because yeah. I know he's been excited about what he could potentially bring to this Jacksonville team. But, you know, I'll, I'll push it back to you, Dane. I mean, is Chris Thompson at the point where we can just kind of lock him into lineups because – He's the pass catching back on a team that should be throwing all the time. Yeah, I mean, remember when this Fournette news happened, what did I say? I said Chris Thompson is the guy that I'm interested in because you have to think about the game flow as well, right? We know the Jaguars ain't trying to win. Okay, so I think they're going to be down by two scores a lot in the late third quarter. I think you're going to see Gardner Minshew dumping it off to Chris Thompson. And remember, Jay Gruden went out and got Chris Thompson from Washington because they have experience together. So I'm all about this kid. We tip our cap. Congrats to the kid, right? The undrafted rookie being able to get the first snap. I'd keep an eye on Chris Thompson in Jacksonville as well. When we're talking about backfields, though, Kev, one other backfield became clear. We talk about. We talk about RBBCs, committees, timeshares. Well, we may have another bell cow, Kevin, added to the list. Yesterday, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin said, we've got a great group of guys, but don't get it twisted. There is no question as to who our bell cow back is. We know our primary ball toter, and it is James Conner. The Terminator will be RB1 and on the field for the Steelers. Does that change your profile or prospects or props for Conner? Not one bit. None of that's really. It's a matter of whether or not. Oh, okay. Because you always it's thought of, it was going to be that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, and I would think you did as well. Like, we're going to be able I to did. play James Conner, you know, on a week to week basis. It's Absolutely. When he's actually available. True. If he's healthy, if he dresses, I'm playing him. Remember, he was one of those under-respected bell cow RB2s I've been talking about. We look at the futures in the NFL because the season kicks off. We do that next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh giving you the edge here on SportsGrid. Kev, we've been talking about running back situations, right? And if there's clarity in Jacksonville, clarity in Pittsburgh, I believe James Conner will serve as a bell cow. And, you know, the one in Cleveland is pretty interesting, right? You got Nick Chubb there. 
Kev. And many people believe that Nick Chubb is like an RB1 in fantasy, one of the better running backs. But there's Kareem Hunt there as well. And Kareem Hunt was brought there at first, right, to kind of have a one-year prove-it deal. Remember, obviously, the issue he had with the videotape in the hotel uh, floor. But now he's back, and he is more than just trying to, like, prove his worth. He signed a two-year, 13. million extension yesterday with the Cleveland Browns, Kev. That's more annual money than Austin Eckler got with the Chargers. Eckler got four for 24. That's that's six a year. Hunt got two for 13 plus. That's over six a year. What does this mean? Talk to me about the player, but also if they're investing money in Hunt, that means there's a legit timeshare in Cleveland. So talk to me about Nick Chubb as well. Yeah, I mean, we and we knew Kareem Hunt was going to be a, a part of this offense. You know, there, there's no surprise there. When you take a look at what happened as soon as he became available for this team last season, right away was, was inserted into the fold. And it's a reason why Nick Chubb fell in some drafts, because people just a, a little unsure how to approach this. And what really happened, right, was Kareem Hunt comes in and just soaks up all of those targets that, yep. you know, are a lot more coveted in fantasy. And now that they've, you know, locked him in financially, that's not going anywhere. Those concerns aren't going anywhere. So Kareem Hunt, a, a legitimate player. I mean, you know, if and if the targets are, are there to the degree that people mm-hmm. think in a PPR format, I mean, you know, people are kind of banking on this team having two RB2s on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I, I think that is a good way to frame it. And maybe the headline here is about bumping down Nick Chubb because as you follow the money, and that's really what you need to do here, they are committed to Kareem Hunt being a real piece of this offense. And Kev, as we look around, okay, you know, everyone knows about the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson defending MVP, and he should be, right? Harbaugh, great coach. Um. But I'm intrigued by this division as we kind of look at some futures action, right? Because I, you know me, I believe the Cleveland Browns with their new head coach, I think potential maturity of Baker Mayfield building out that offensive line. They always had a good defense. I think the Cleveland Browns may have some positive regression and they're plus 480 to win that division. And then over in Pittsburgh, you had a team that would have been the seventh seed in the AFC and they were doing that with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. You now have James Conner back and healthy as a bell cow. You now have Big Ben Roethlisberger, a Hall of Famer, back at quarterback, right? So in this division, there's some interesting awards on the line as well. I may look to something like Cleveland or Pittsburgh in the division. I think we have a top contender in Big Ben for comeback player of the year. And I know you, one of your favorite contenders for rookie of the year, is the other quarterback in this division, number one overall pick, Joe Burrow. Talk to me about awards or how this AFC North may shape out. Let's first talk about the AFC North because I think what you bring up is an awesome point here. I also am excited about what the Browns and the Steelers can do coming uh, off of last season because I think the Browns should be better. Baker Mayfield's one of the quarterbacks I was looking at for over touchdown passing prop uh, for you know these season-long player props. Uh, if Big Ben is even halfway decent, the Steelers are going to get a massive boost to what was the worst offense in football last year. So those teams being much better, it's obviously the – team that sits in front of them, right? Because if you look yeah. at it, the Ravens and the Chiefs are pretty much in lockstep with all of their numbers, but the yeah. Chiefs are minus 420 to win their division. So they're offering respect to both the Steelers and the Browns. 
It's just that the Ravens are this good that they still sit there at the minus 200. But I know this is a spot, Dane, where sometimes you're like, let me get two pieces of this pie and and hope that one of them cash. But I also think, you know, if confidence is there, and this make the playoff market, I think, is a great opportunity for people. And you get the Browns at plus 108, and the Pittsburgh Steelers um, are, are not an unbettable number, though it is at minus 134. So I think that's also where, you know, you can kind of play both sides of that coin. And I think there's a decent chance that both of those teams make the playoffs. Dana, if I remember correctly, during our roster reset, we both had that being the case. We did. We did. I am very intrigued by that AFC North. Let's zoom out even a little bit. If we look at the AFC conference, Kev, you know, you mentioned that the Chiefs and the Ravens are neck and neck as runaway favorites, right? They are one and two in this conference. The Chiefs at plus 280, the Ravens at three to one. Give me a value pick because both of them are deserving favorites. I think we understand and would agree with that. But if you had to go a little bit off the beaten path, because any other team you pick, Kev, you're getting 10 to one. Okay, for Mm -hmm. me, it might be those Steelers at 13 to 1. I'm intrigued by the Bills at 13 to 1, who will bring their top five defense relatively unchanged to the AFC East. And I'm intrigued by the Indianapolis Colts at 10 to 1 with that offense and with Phillip Rivers at the helm. I'm intrigued by those three teams as kind of value bets at over 10 to 1. You get any ideas like that in the AFC? Who are some of the horses you'd pick, you know, that are not named Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made for the team that was in the AFC title game next to the Kansas City Chiefs Mm. that eliminated the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore and the New England Patriots in New England and the Tennessee Titans at 16-1 to certainly can stand out. I know we believe that Ryan Tannehill is meant to fall off of a cliff, and to be fair, he might. But that's because the cliff he's standing on was literally the best quarterback, like, passing-wise, football, while he was the starting quarterback for the Titans. And that's why I think you could say, all right, if he regresses, he's still a top half of the league quarterback, just based on what he put out last year. And Mike Vrabel stepping up in a big way was incredibly impressive. And, you know, if I had to go closer to the top, I do think that Cam Newton could be set up for Mm. an excellent season. And I think him for comeback player of the year uh, as the second choice behind Big Ben in in that, you know, plus 340 range, I believe it is, uh, is also another intriguing option out there. I think this Patriots team has the chance to approach uh, the sport differently than they have in quite some time. And that is when they're at their most dangerous. You know, and that is very interesting because I remember the Jacoby Brissett game. I remember Tim Tebow, you know, under center and how they've utilized him. So that potential does exist. As we move over the NFC, Kev, you know, you got San Francisco, you got New Orleans. Everybody's in love with Tampa as well. I got to give you two teams for me off the beaten path a little bit greater than 10 to 1 in the NFC. The first one for me is the Minnesota Vikings at 12 to 1. I like how they have added to their defense. I think the Packers are ready to fall back in that division. And get this, Kev, could Kirk Cousins be the kind of quarterback that actually improves his play with no fans in the stands? 
with no pressure in primetime games. I think that's viable. I like Minnesota, Dalvin Cook running for a contract. And the other one for me is the Seattle Seahawks. Listen, if Russell Wilson has a heartbeat, they are live. They were a few yards away from the number one seed in the NFC last year. They bring back a lot of guys. I'm expecting ascending from DK Metcalf as a true wide receiver one. They back up Carson with Carlos Hyde. I like the tried and true Russell Wilson Seahawks and the Minnesota Vikings as some value in the NFC. Everyone knows San Francisco, New Orleans, and I guess Tom Brady is in the NFC too, huh? Who you like? I mean, look, first of all, let's just start right there. If the starting quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was named Bomb Trady, I think more people yep. actually would be excited about the Bucs because a lot of people are like, ah, I don't want to back Brady, and they're not going to be good. Look, I mean, this team was fifth last year in defensive DVOA. Uh, Todd Bowles continually delivering. People like Bruce Arians. The weapons are out of this world. But people don't want to buy into Brady. And I get it. But this there's so much talent there that at plus 750, like I think they're better than the Dallas Cowboys with their price in the same mm-hmm. way. At. And if I had to go deeper down the board, uh, I know this is one of the spots where uh, you and I see things differently. Because every year teams want to try and find, oh, who's that team that's going to fall off? And this is my team right. that's coming up. And a lot of people get the Rams finishing last in the NFC West. I think there's still a lot of talent there. I think Sean McVay is still one of the better coaches in this league. Uh, I think there's a lot of offensive weapons. I'm excited about Cam Akers. Oh, by the way, Aaron Donald, the best player in all of football, sure. is still on that defense. They've got lockdown corner Jalen Ramsey. And the one thing that we've seen from this team time and time again, they'll be aggressive and not worry about future. That's true. And they'll just keep making trade after trade after trade. Uh, at 17-1, to 1, I think the Rams were also an interesting option. That is true. They got a test in week one, the Rams against the Cowboys. We'll see who starts off on the good foot in Sunday night football. When we come back, we bring in my guy, the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt, for some interesting insights on how this is all going to play out. Because who knows? My man Emery does. He's up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Back on the early line, including, as usual, our terrestrial radio audience from around the country. Thanks for waking up early with us out there on the Mightier 1090. We are still working to get our guy, Emery Hunt, connected. We hope, because he's got some great insights, Kev. So we're going to get to him as soon as we possibly can. I will say this. I want to ask you about another running back situation while we wait for our guy, Emery Hunt. And that's in New England. Okay, because what we're seeing here in New England, Damian Harris goes on the IR, right? And at the same time, they're saying, you know, Sony Michelle is ready to go. Okay, so what do you think about in this Patriots backfield? This has been a backfield that's been something of a uh, a fantasy herd for years, right? They signed Lamar Miller, then cut him. We know Rex Burkhead is there. We know James White is there in passing situations as well. How do you think this Patriots backfield is going to shake out with now Damian Harris on IR and Sony Michelle back up off the pup list? I mean, listen, this has always been a, a one-man show for me in terms of who I'm interested in, and it is James White. He had 95 mm. targets last year. The receiving core is not better. He fits perfectly into what Cam Newton would want to do. It's James White or pass. 
All right, fair enough. I think that's the case specifically, especially in PPR roles. And remember, the goal line back for the New England Patriots may just be Cam Newton, okay? So think about that as well. But now we do have my guy, Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. You know him all over the place. I've done a ton of work with Emery. Emery, how are you doing today? I missed you at the draft, brother. I am so excited to get some of your insights. How you feeling, brother? How you been? All right, so here we go, Emery. Here's what I got to ask you, okay? You have the experience of playing. You understand. I want to get behind the curtain with you. I talked to you about things like, does east to west travel really matter? You know, does fans in the stands really matter? What I want to ask you about, I have a thesis, okay, Emery, especially in fantasy sports, that the rookies right? Take time to ascend over time. You look last year at a guy like Miles Sanders or Devin Singletary, how at the beginning of the season didn't contribute a ton, but did at the end of the season. I see a couple of rookie running backs this year, Swift in Detroit, Moss in Buffalo, JT in Indianapolis, and I expect them to have an ascent over time. My question for you though, Emery, is is that ascent going to take even slower than normal because of not facing opponents in preseason, the context of coronavirus, having to digest all this in a very unique way? Are rookies truly behind the eight ball this year? And if so, why? All right. Unfortunately, we're still working through some audio with Emery. You know, there's so much to ask him about, though, Kev, right? I'm intrigued to see if we should believe in that, right? Should we buy into that slow ascent? I think another thing, Kev, right, that we want to ask Emery, the idea of home field advantage, right? Like, he's been in those buildings. He's been in those stadiums. How are you going to view home field advantage, Kev, right out the gate? Is it something that matters? Are you looking at other travel aspects that are not part of the fans, like the travel like the rest like the altitude in denver like the road teams being able to hear signals because there's no fans in the stands as well how are you going to play this out the gate yeah i think there's a, a world where something davis maddox said yesterday probably resonated for people that have been watching the early line as we go all the way back to uh june right or may when we saw yeah. road favorites in the bundesliga be so consistent for us right? And because these teams are supposed to win and the numbers that they're laying though are actual discounts yeah i mean i think that does make sense we gotta see we gotta see um correct me if i'm wrong we have emory hunt back um and if we do i would Okay, we're still working on that. No problem, you know. And here's another thing I would love to ask Emery Hunt because he, as the czar of the playbook, he scouts all these dudes all year long. That's why it's so interesting to have the draft. Kev, what do you think, like, you know, as we put up some of his work, right? Like, what do you think? How are you going to scout college this year? You know, how are you going to scout the draft next year? What about that guy, not the Trevor Lawrences of the world that we know, not the Sewells at Oregon who are going to be top five picks, not the Jamar Chases who have the ability to opt out of the season. We already know their profile. What about that guy mm -hmm. that was going to be a fourth, fifth round pick, Kev, you know, and needed to put a good senior season on tape in order to become a draft pick, you know? And what about those middle guys that need to perform. That's what I'm going to be very interested in. I wonder how we're going to approach scouting this year, right, Kev? 
It's going to be very difficult because you're not going to have as many guys that you would like to go through. I think the big change that you can see from a betting perspective, Dane, and I know you were obviously involved with these markets as we had our draft coverage here on the network, over under SEC players drafted in the first round. They're going to go for record next year. I mean, think about it. It was all. It was already always having the most number of guys drafted in the first round, but now you consider we've lost the Big Ten, and right. that's your Ohio State, your Michigan's, your Michigan State. That's a lot of talent that you know. If people were on the fence about, and certainly you know, guys that won't be able to jump out in the same way, where now all of these SEC games will have that elevated uh, yep. level of importance. And that's what's going to be really interesting to me. Do we see that over-under priced at a record-breaking number of a 19-and-a-half, a 20-and-a-half? Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? From both sides, you know, the the other conferences won't have that exposure, right? And I think that's important. But the SEC will have that added exposure. So my exact point, right? And that's why I would love to ask Emery about it. That exact thing, the, the fourth, fifth-round projected talent, Right in the SEC, that kid is going to have his opportunity to show up, show out, and improve his perspective, improve his draft stock as it will. Meanwhile, the same level of talent, the person that you know Todd McShay projects at the same level right now that happens to play in Arizona State and won't get that opportunity, it's going to be very interesting when it pops out the other side. I know our guys are still working to try to get Emory, and if we don't get him today, we will try to bring him back at some point because the czar of the playbook has incredible insights and we thank him for trying to get on with us early in the morning but kev let's think about this you know when i talk about the fans in the stands there's so many ways to play it right obviously they could get loud what about something like a um a good quarterback on the road not having to deal with a silent count being able to communicate clearly one of the things Mm. i may be looking at is like Good offenses on the road, taking their overs on their team totals because you think, oh, they're on the road, but they're going to be able to communicate real clearly, right? So when Russell Wilson in week one goes into Atlanta, but the dome is empty, is that not a boost for that offense, you know, or other offenses that are going into environments where there would be a lot of noise and distraction and issues and offsides calls and false starts, but there's not anymore. Might that be a way to play it? I'm not, you know, I don't know if there's going to be this added boost. These offenses are, are, they're so adjusted to this now that I don't know if they're like, oh my gosh, I can hear this is a whole new world. Um, It'll be interesting to see what level these road favorites cash at um, or, you know, what these road team totals end up looking like at the end of week one. But I'm not sure if, you know, we're going to come back and hear, oh, it's a whole new world because I can hear Russell Wilson's count. And now I knew to ran the seven as opposed to the eight. All right, fair enough. Let me ask you another thing, okay, about home, road, fans and stuff. One of the things I always do kind of put stock in, and we could differ on if this is a trend or a, you know, a, a, a lean or an approach you have, if you believe it or not. Personally, Kev, I do put stock in the idea of West Coast teams traveling east for the one o'clock starts, okay? Mm-hmm. In week one, that happens twice. The Vegas Raiders are in Carolina for a 1 o'clock Eastern start, and the Seattle Seahawks are in Atlanta, I believe, for a 1 o'clock Eastern start, right? Um, Do those elements that have nothing to do with fan attendance but have to do with travel? Remember, these guys now now travel 
It's a bigger ordeal than it was a year ago or two years ago or ever before. These teams that yeah. not only have the body clock piece, how, however much you believe in that, but also have arduous long travel. I don't know if they're doing it in first class. I don't know if they're wearing masks, you know, but that has to add a little bit of a level of anxiety out there, out the gate for week one. What about those two teams traveling west to east for one o'clock starts? The Raiders, I believe, are road favorites. And the Seahawks are road favorites in Atlanta. One of those games? I think that's what's pretty interesting is that both of those teams are still favored in those matchups. They are. And you think about the reasons why. Well, the Panthers are supposed to be a bottom five team in the league. So they're going to be hard-pressed to find themselves favored really in any game. And then the Seahawks have been juggernauts on the road and they've dominated in this uh time travel where where they're getting the the big shift like they've handled it excellently so that's going to be an interesting to see and i think another just little caveat there though is the chargers were meant to fit the bill but that game starts at four o'clock and i just think that that it does right is odd to me and I, i i do wonder how that stuff kind of works out for them because technically the the body clock is still thrown off. Like, you're not operating on the same times. It's four, it's not one. And it's not as if we're at a point where the Chargers are, oh, we're programmed to start out. Right, right, right. They haven't played yet. And that's another, you know, kind of interesting no, thing as well for these teams is, you know, with this being week one, how often does that coast travel impact these teams? You know, that is true. Remember, we saw it on those breakfast 9 a.m. games on MLS. The body clock is real. But you're right, at 4 p.m., it's a little bit of a different adjustment. I am intrigued by that Carolina-Vegas game. The Raiders do bad when they travel to the East Coast, and yet the Panthers are getting three full points at home week one with a new head coach and a new offense. We will see. We talk NHL playoffs with our guy Cam Stewart when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Welcome back right here onto the early line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid. Dane Martinez, my man, the candle burner, Kevin Walsh, and we bring in our guy, the raging redhead, Cam Stewart, in now for a couple of minutes because we got to talk about hockey. You know, we talk about the NBA playoffs. NFL is starting up. MLB is moving to their playoffs. The NHL Stanley Cup playoffs are down to the final four. We're in the conference finals out east and out west. So I got to ask you about it, Cam, and let's dive right in. I saw what happened happened out west as the Vegas Golden Knights won three nothing yesterday against Dallas but here's what I want to ask you I'm a boxing guy and there's a phrase style makes fight Cam the Vegas Golden Knights were scoring left and right previously right now I think I'm leaning under on this series because Dallas is packing it in they're not scoring if it's not an empty net goal I saw five and a half as a total and I was like huh I think I'm going under. It winds up 3 nothing. Am I on to something with this series being tighter, more defensive, and lower scoring? You're on to something, Dane, but the thing is, it's not going to last that way. Mm. The thing is, Vegas has had no puck luck. And if you watch that series versus Vancouver, if the Thatcher Demko didn't play, they would have won games like 6-2. to two. Thing is, Dallas can play any style of hockey. Against the Calgary series, the games went over. 
against Vegas. The difference is Vegas has a defense. The Flames don't. Vegas has two goaltenders. The Flames have none. Not just Big Save Dave. They got nobody. Cam Talbot, these guys are average at best. So we're talking about a team that is deep, full, and the the thing about Dallas is actually for them to have a chance, they're going to have to open it up, and they can. They have shown the ability to score. They have very good uh, scorers on that team and probably the best defensive core. The thing about Dallas' defensive core, though, guys, they're offensive defensemen. So Vegas, with their big lumbering forwards and power forwards, can stay in front of the net. As you see, they they actually should have won the game by more. They had a disallowed goal. That's the thing. Do you bet these series prices? You get on the team. Like when Vegas was down one nothing, I'm like perfect because you know what? I think I think they're going to the Stanley Cup. So you know what, Dane? I I agree with you though. Everyone's just blindly betting the overs in these things. Be very very careful because we might see more unders than overs. I'm not sure though for Dallas to win. They they totally have to stop Vegas. And now with the goaltending situation, Hudobin uh, was out last night. They have a third string goalie too. So be very very careful. Let me ask you, Cam, about a cool market that they have at the FanDuel Sportsbook for the series prices with the series handicap tab, mm-hmm. where you can lay a game and a half with the Vegas Golden Knights at minus 103. Uh, you said you think Vegas is going to get to the Stanley Cup. Is it too ambitious, though, to think that they can wrap this up in less than seven games? I think they're probably going to win six, Kev. I think Dallas is probably good for another win. Um, a lot of people think it can go seven. I'll give the Dallas Stars a lot of credit. And you guys know, I was the president of their fan club in round <laughs> one against the Calgary Flames. And I know how dangerous they can be. They have good veteran forwards on the team. The thing about Vegas, though, is they're quicker. I just I just think they're – and the goaltending means everything in hockey. And Vegas has two starting goaltenders, not one in a backup. They have two legitimate starters. They can make a decision. Should we go with Leonard? Should we go with Flurry? Obviously, Robin Leonard's the guy for these guys right now, Kev. I think it's going to be a Vegas-Tampa Bay, um, you know, Stanley Cup final. But I do have something to say about this Islander series. There was a lot of factors that played into them looking like absolute junk in game one. All right, let's talk about it then, Cam, because game <laughs> two is tonight <laughs> yeah, at yeah. 8 o'clock. You know, you're such a professional, Cam. What a great professional segue to the yeah. Eastern Conference Finals, those New York Islanders against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who you've just said you think may go to the Cup Finals. They're up one nothing in this series. Tonight is game two. The Lightning are, in fact, minus 175 on the money line. Five and a half is the total. Tell us, Cam, what do you see happening tonight? Yeah, Dane, I'm the champion of beer pong, maybe, but thank you very much for that uh, compliment. Well, let's talk. You got it, brother. The Islanders, remember, just finished off Philadelphia. They had to get on a plane. Remember, after being in the bubble, fly to Edmonton. These games were in the West Coast. They're not in Toronto. Mm. The conference files, then you change. It got them out of whack. They were not ready, and Tampa Bay was a rested beast that basically, after the first shift, just pounced all over the Islanders. It is not going to be that simple. I still like Mm. Tampa Bay. But for all the people just rushing to the window thinking there's going to be nine goals scored in this game, I'll tell you, I don't think there is. You can even look at the five and a half. The Islanders, for them to play with Tampa Bay, they're going to have to play better defensively. The only issue I have about really slamming the under is the goaltending for the Islanders. Thomas Grice was good. He got pulled. He let in like the first three goals. They put in Varlamov. He's a little bit shaky. That's the thing. In Tampa Bay, their top line can't be stopped. If you guys are looking for some props too, I wrote some down. Braden Point to get yeah. a point. Like I don't, I don't even know. Like, Assist is plus money, goals plus money. If anybody on Tampa Bay gets points, it's him. So Braden Point to get a goal or assist, both of these, you pick you pick whatever or both, you know, that's plus money. The New York Islanders, there's two guys to take a shot at. I like the under in this game, so I wouldn't be playing too many props. But J.P. Pajot to get a goal at plus 320 to me, 
is a very, very good price. He will get, he plays on the Islanders' power play, gets a lot of ice time, and he's the true natural goal scorer on this team. It doesn't come easy for a lot of these guys. The Islanders are just good hockey players that can wear you down. But when you t- we talk from a skill set perspective, he's the type of guy, right? In the NBA, we're talking about like scorers, LeBron, Lou Williams, guys you know who can do it. He's the guy who can do it for the Islanders. So I like that. Also, um, who else did I mention? Barzell over either or just one point in the game. It is minus 112 goal or, goal or assist. Matthew Barzell, he's the guy, and Pajot are the guys for the Islanders. They're the two best players on the team, and Beauvillier, but I like these guys. And Braden Point, this guy's unstoppable right now. He had five points in the other game. That top line with Kucherev, like, that's the problem. The Islanders have no answer for these guys. Yeah, and I see there the Braden Point over one point is plus 140. So if he gets you the one, it's a push, but if he does get you two, uh, that's still a yeah. nice plus number there. But I know it's, I yeah, know it's, it's difficult to think the game going under, but it just, it's just still it's a nice plus price. But let me ask you this, Cam, about this spot here. Is this team mm-hmm. something similar to the Nuggets and the Clippers? Game seven, team's tired. Game number one, they don't have the legs kind of tap out midway through. But then, like the Nuggets, they came back. One game number two, put forward a really nice defensive performance. Could that be what we see here from the Isles? That's the thing, guys. Like, remember, we were kind of human beings. We kind of look at what we saw last. It's not true. The Islanders couldn't play the worst game, and it was a horrible situation. Also, with the hub and, and flying out to Edmonton, that's not cool. So I think Barry Trotz and these guys are going to be a, a lot better tonight. I wouldn't rush to the window betting Tampa Bay. I'm going to tell you, Tampa Bay is the better team. But the Islanders beat these guys in the regular season. They dominated the series. So you know what? If you're looking for the Islanders on a bounce back, tonight's the night. I think Tampa Bay probably wins the series in six, six or seven. Uh, probably six. I think I think it goes six. But the Islanders are good for probably two wins in the series. That's what I'm thinking. And tonight would be a great time to take them at plus 150 on FanDuel. They're yeah. coming off an embarrassing loss. You guys know the way I roll. I think the Islanders can win like a three to two game tonight, just barely stays under the number. That's kind of what I'm looking at. That hook is big. Five and a half FanDuel, that's a, that's a big hook. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised, guys, if it went to six because people are thinking Tampa Bay is just going to roll these guys again. So wait on it. If you like the total, just wait on it. Hope to it gets to six because it's not going to be going down to five. It's either five and a half or six, and you might have to pay a little bit of juice. But the Islanders could be a live dog tonight. Tampa's not going to roll over these guys and say, hey, yeah, we're going to beat you you know, eight to two. No, 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 no. That's not happening. Barry Trotz is the, one of the best coaches in the league. He'll have these guys ready to rock. And I like attacking teams coming off embarrassing losses. There were a lot of things working against the New York Islanders in game one. All right, fair enough, Cam. And, you know, we always come to you for our hockey insights. But there's only four teams left, right? So we've talked about the Eastern yeah. Conference. We've talked about the yeah. Western Conference. I would be remiss if when we have you, we don't talk a little bit about Dustin Johnson, the FedEx champion, the majors <laughs> on the horizon, and what the golfers are doing this week to kind of hone their skills, take a week off, or maybe work on that pitch game over at Safeway. What's happening in the PGA Tour? <laughs> we know Dustin Johnson is the champion. But we're already now on the precipice of this new super season. I think they're calling it in the PGA with six majors. And the first one is next week, right? So talk to me either about the U.S. Open or what are some of the big golfers doing this week, skipping Safeway, working on their game? What's it look like as we start the super season in the PGA Tour? 
I'll tell you, Dustin Johnson, this guy's not working on anything but probably a bottle of champagne and and, and saying, hey, Paulina, yeah. do you like do you like strawberries and do you like strawberries in bed? I do. Let's celebrate. He'll, he will have a couple days to celebrate. Then he'll hit the range after with 15 million in the pocket. I guess he could take Wayne or take Wayne Gretzky on a nice little cruise, too. But this week, hey, not everybody's rich. Some golfers are regular people that have to play for their tour card. And that's what we got at the Safeway Open. We got guys that are, you know, outside of the top 30 in the Tour Championship. They want to get some momentum flowing. And there's an interesting storyline, guys. Phil Mickelson. Let me tell you something about Phil. He is now 50 years old. He went to the Senior Tour. What did Phil Mickelson do? He just won his first Senior Tour event. How you doing? Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, so this is an interesting thing. If you want to get sentimental and you're a Phil fan, hey, he gives out football tickets. Remember that Super Bowl? Hey, are you broke? Here's some Super Bowl tickets. Take the family. I love you. Phil's that guy, man of the people. Even though he's a don't don't trust him, Dane and Kev. He'll 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 fleece you in a in a cash game. That's hmm. what he does. But Phil is very generous. He paid for Dick Buckus's kids to go to college. Actually, that's a whole other story. Ah. But I'll tell you, Phil wow. Mickelson. This week is 22 to 1 on FanDuel at the Safeway. He's coming in real hot. And you know what? He's becoming a smarter player. He understands, listen, you know, I could still, I can't bomb it out with the guys, even though he is getting stronger and he works out. So he's not afraid of Brendan Steele and, you know, Taylor hmm. Gooch. Like, you think that, you think Phil Mickelson's scared of these turkeys? He's 22 to 1. So if you're getting sentimental with Phil, I'd say take a shot of him at the Safeway Open because he looked great in the senior tour. And let's remember golf. Sometimes guys get better with age. Look at Bernhard Langer. All he does is, you know, drive Mercedes and gets richer, just just collecting money. And that's the thing. Phil's actually taking time to work out. His body looks a lot better. You know, he's he's lost his punch. And, and he looks at this field and goes, you know what? I can compete with these guys. I don't have to play against Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Justin Thomas. I got Brendan sure. Steele, Joel Damon, and Taylor Gooch, even though I do like Joel Damon this week at 30-1 to 1 on FanDuel. Let me say, Cam, quickly with, though, because, uh, you know, I started looking at it as a three ball. Phil's got an interesting yeah. <laughs> uh, round matchup. And Even your three just, balls. You know how I roll. <laughs> I love, this I is love the you, thing. Cam. It's pretty interesting, Cam. It's, yeah. it's Phil, Brendan Steele, and Shane Lowry. Lowry is priced at the longest number of them, but in the round matchup, he's a plus 170 favorite. And then they've got Brendan Steele and Phil Mickelson both at plus 175. I would stay away from that because if you look at the guys who are in the tournament, those those that's the chalk. Brendan Steele has also very very good record at that course, Kev. Stay away from it. Just take one of these guys to win. I like Brent. I, I like Phil Mickelson at twenty two, Joel Damon at thirty, and if you want want a real bomb, Scott Stallings one hundred to one. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, guys. Enjoy the hockey and the golf if you're desperate to watch the Safeway. But we got NFL. We absolutely (laughs) do, Cam, and tomorrow we will be kicking off, and I'm sure we will talk about that as the season rolls along. Thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us. As always, on a Wednesday, we got more to talk about next week. We'll be talking major golf with you, Kevin. We may be at the Stanley Cup Finals, so we look forward to that. Thanks for stopping by here on the early line, Cam, as always. Take care, guys. May the winners be all of ours. Absolutely. 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 That's what I say to people when I go into like fantasy football drafts. I'm like, good luck to everyone. Better luck to me. But we will see as we move on, Kev. That is interesting to me. What do you think about that uh, that Golden Knights Dallas Stars series? You know, style makes fight. This seems to be a little bit tighter. And both of these teams not really scoring goals. You talk about the Vegas Golden Knights having two real goaltenders. They won three nothing, but that's under five and a half. And maybe that's the case moving forward. 
Yeah, and I think that that series price as well. This team has been priced as the dominant team in the Western Conference. I wish we would have been able to see what that series handicap of laying a game and a half would have been after them going down one nothing, considering it was minus 103 now uh, evened up. The Knights uh, have looked excellent here. and You know, you just take a look at those Stanley Cup futures odds. Plus 105 yeah. for the Lightning and plus 155 for the Knights. If you know, they believe that this matchup is already set between these two. Yep, they do. And that's what Cam thinks as well. So we'll keep it locked to him and his insights as we keep it going. Everybody here on the grid giving you the edge. We wrap up this episode of the early line when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line. As we finish up today, keep it locked on Sports Grid all day long. The morning after, FST, coast to coast, game time decisions, and then my man, the candle burner, will be back following all the action here tonight on In Game Live. And Kev, tomorrow the season starts. I was going to ask Emery about like that rookie learning curve, right? And will they really be behind the eight ball? So, Kev. Who's going to be least behind the eight ball? Who's going to win this offensive rookie of the year? Who's going to be able to hit that ground running? I know you've had a pick all offseason long. That's right. It's been Joe Burrow for me, and, and I've said to you that I didn't really think there was much of an argument to be made for anybody else, that I thought he should be listed at a minus price. But I think it's good for us to revisit this before we get underway, specifically before we see the Kansas City Chiefs take the field tomorrow because this and plus CEH happens is fair. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is absolutely going to be in the running. Now, I do believe this is a two-horse race, but the point and the favor that Burrow had in his favor was the gap in opportunity could have not been wider. Damian Williams, right. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Marlon Mack, Amari Cooper, on Johnson, Cortland Sutton, all of these players sat above these other top draft choices, and Burrow was going to have a full 16 to put up gaudy numbers and nobody was going to touch it. But now Edwards-Alaire has the opportunity to give you double-digit touchdowns, to give you you know over 1,200 total yards of offense on maybe the best team in football. And if he does that you know, on a 12-14 and 14 Kansas City Chiefs team, and all of a sudden Burrow's got big numbers, but it's a lot of garbage time, and they've won three games, then I don't know if that same special sauce is there for them. I don't know if people keep that same uh, level of intrigue or, or they find themselves impressed by with what Burrow has brought to the table. So I think now, if you're going to approach Burrow, you might be better off just going game to game and trying to pick mm. the big spots. You know, they're over plus 150 to win that opening game against the Chargers, and that's an immediate payout over this plus 230 where Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to make as strong of a push as Burrow. Yeah, it's about talent plus opportunity, right? And some of these guys will be behind other starters. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. Antonio Gibson may have a clear path to production, but that's definitely part of it. We talk about games that kick off. The ball will be in the air tomorrow. We'll see you then for another edition of The Early Line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.